the America's Jobs Team Podcast for economic developers by economic developers. Join the Consultant Connect team every Thursday for discussions surrounding the latest in our industry. Learn from fellow economic development heroes, get leadership advice, keep on top of industry trends and shifts, and so much more. You are a part of America's Jobs Team. And we're so glad that you're tuning in. All right. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the America's Jobs Team. I'm Carla Sones, and I am pumped on this Monday morning because I get a chance to touch base with an individual in our profession that I think is just top-notch, certainly setting um, a trend for women in economic development. I know she's on the move. She's People are talking about your work, and we're excited to touch base with Danielle Casey today, who now leads down in Albuquerque. So many of you may have known Danielle from her former roles in California or from Arizona, but she's now leading the charge down in New Mexico for the Albuquerque Area Economic Alliance. And we are so excited that you're here with us. How are you, Danielle? I'm doing great for a Monday. Thank you, Carla. Yeah, well, good. Okay, so we have to start at the very beginning because I think people know of your name and you've certainly made strides. You're a top 50 economic developer. I know you've received awards in many of the communities that you are in for the work that you've done. You have critical roles on the IEDC board. Um, So you're definitely moving and shaking, but I feel like we have to start at the beginning of how did you learn about economic development and what caused you to get into this type of a profession? Like, take us back in time and kind of give us the, the skinny on how you ended up where you ended up. For sure. Thanks for the question, Carla. I think if you pulled all economic developers out there, nine out of 10 would tell you that they fell into this role accidentally. It's actually very rare for it to be intentional. And I'm definitely one of those stories. So let's see, backing up, I was a military kid. So now in New Mexico, this is actually my ninth state, but I lived in many different places. And for a number of reasons, I ended up uh, the last half of my bachelor's, I was at Arizona State. I followed mom and stepdad there. It looked like fun. It had palm trees. What's not to love? So I find myself at Arizona State, and I had always loved museums, culture, art, the study of people and and history and places. So I got an anthropology degree, also because some of those anthropologists were really cool hipsters. And, you know, they just always had the the best parties. Maybe that was it. I have no idea. Or, you know, then again, it was ASU. I wasn't necessarily invited to all the best parties anyway. But so I was was fascinated by it. I loved it. And then I ended up going into museum work. So local nonprofit work, my first job out of school, which which this will date me, but I'm I'm forever grateful and thankful that this amazing woman who still is a mentor today hired me two weeks after 9-11 in a museum, the Hurt Museum of Native Cultures and Art, when tourism and everything hit a brick wall. And so I got hired there. and, uh, And because of all the waitressing jobs and other gigs I had had in my life, I I managed the front end staff and dead events and things. So I I did a couple of different nonprofit stints, but then I found myself, as we all did in the housing boom, driving to qualify. So, you know, that just means you go as far as you can from the center of the city until you can find a house you like that you can afford because you're young and you have no money, right? But you feel like you need something new. So I found myself in the burgeoning brand new city of Maricopa, not to be confused with Sheriff Joe or Maricopa County 
I heard that for years, but it's a it's a little small community that had been newly incorporated in 2003. And so it was about 1500 people historically, a farming town, third generation farmers, and it had incorporated and the city had incorporated uh, when the county had already entitled enough single family homes for a population of 150,000. Wow. So you've got these amazing third generation farmers that came together. They're the ones that sold a lot of the dirt where these, these uh, master plan communities were going up and they said, we need to have a future. We can't be a bedroom community. We need to be economically sustainable. And um, I was lucky enough, uh, right place at the right time to get hired on it as, a, as an assistant to the city manager. And, and about two months in, we're literally sitting around the single conference room table we had in the middle of a double wide trailer. I mean, literally field mice would crawl across your feet. It was so grassroots. And uh, and I was the 12th employee there ever. And we're sitting around and they go, well, somebody needs to help this consultant that's working on our economic development strategy. I said, well, what's that? You know, at the time, I'm just young and dumb enough to volunteer for things. So I was handed to a woman named Iowana Morfessis. Who, um, who was consulting for the community at the time, setting the stage for economic development. She is a past chair of IEDC. She is a fellow member of IEDC. But even more importantly, she was the founding president and CEO for the Greater Phoenix Economic Council back in 1989. So if you want to experience baptism by fire from an amazing mentor, get handed to somebody like her when you're two months into local government and you don't have a clue what you're doing. So there's, there's my <laughs> intro story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so glad that you were so bold and so curious about everything because I can't imagine this industry without you in it. And you've made several stops along the way, but each one, like the teams just rave about working with you and for you. And it's just really, it's really cool. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about curveballs. So you're not scared of change. You've moved, you've handled, you've lived through multiple different communities. I love that story of like the grassroots and then knowing you've lived in places that are very high tech. So you're definitely not scared of curveballs, which is a good thing because I feel like in economic development right now, there's just a lot of curveballs being thrown into the mix all at the same time. Like we used to sit around and talk about industry trends and it was like, Sure, there were times that we didn't have the sites and buildings we needed. Or, of course, there were occasional like supply chain hiccups. Or, yes, like we need to be thinking about talent pipeline. But it feels like everything is kind of like all happening at the same time right now. How have you guided your team? Like you kind of came to Albuquerque and you're getting used to a newer team, a newer community, while all of this kind of change and uncertainty is upon us. How have you navigated that with your team and and helped them to kind of solidify a plan and and see a path forward with so much uncertainty? Thanks, Carla. And you're absolutely right. This was the the weirdest job recruitment and interview process. I'm talking to friends, you know, just talked to one last week who's going through an extensive interview panel process where they're paraded around the community and they do three dinners and then I had two Zoom calls with this community. (laughs) So it was a huge leap of faith on both sides. We did have some direct conversations on that. I I asked them very pointed questions about what they wanted to see and and what they wanted their their new CEO to do. And even more importantly, what was off the table, if anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And we owed that to each other. So it was a leap of faith for them bringing someone in from the outside, first of all, in a community that is very, very deeply culturally rooted and relationship-based. 
but also for me coming in and going, great, uh, I guess this is going to be awesome, even though I've never even been anywhere in the community. My, my only experience was sneaking in so I could drive myself around and have a socially distanced coffee with three future board members. So it was odd. Coming in to lead a new team, first of all, everyone in the world was stressed out about pandemic situations and COVID. And now we're also dealing with, I think, these very different work styles and expectations and what actually satisfies us at work. So we do have generational differences. So what a millennial or even somebody coming up newer in the workforce finds to be important to them is going to be very different than someone like me or maybe a a baby boomer generation. So trying to navigate all that and figure out how to motivate people at the same time while still being, I think um, you could call me pretty driven (laughs) is challenging. So I think, I think the real answer is uh, any leader that thinks they've got it completely figured out and they're doing everything right when they're dealing with people that they care about, it's just just not a thing. Yeah, there's always the uncertainty and the and the second guessing and, and questioning yourself on on how you're going to tackle these things. So I, I tend to go with my gut on it when I work with folks. But over communication has been a big steadfast kind of you know uh, standard operating procedure for me. The more we can over communicate, the more we can try to find time to spend together as individuals and people. I, I think is huge. What what was really interesting is I think a few months in. So I, I got here. We started doing all of our, you know, virtual calls. And of course, I still came into the office a couple of days a week. Somebody still has to open the mail and, and do those things. And we had staff doing that. But for the large part, up until summer of 21, uh, around this time uh, last year, we came back three days a week and we've continued that hybrid schedule. But, but it was really interesting because I came in and after the first few months, we were working on strategic planning and really launching some key things. And at one point, some of the team members said, well, you know, just tell us what your vision is because we need to understand that and let's lay it out. And I kind of paused and I went, I don't know yet. I'm, I've only been here a few months. So I think that's, um, it's also really important to try to set that path and vision and expectations for your team and let them know, you know, we're not going to be at the level, this level of intensity forever if we're doing a big one-time lift or if there's significant change in the organization, but, but also share that humanity with them. Mm-hmm. That you don't necessarily know everything or have this um, this complete all guiding wisdom that's already 100% figured out, but you do have experience. And so that's something that I've leaned on over time. Generally, if something really bugs me or if I keep going back to the well on it or I want to approach it in a certain way, it's because I've seen something like that before that's that's helped helped me in that endeavor. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I think you're so right. I mean, just like all of the other employers that we're working with, like economic development, like we're we're seeing that shift of you have a lot of different work styles and a lot of different expectations just of like your employers. And do you have any advice on like how people navigate that with their teams? Like just you have some employees who feel like they need to all be back in the office. You have some people who are like, we need to work remote. Like what, how are you kind of navigating the different work styles? Um, as best as I can, Carla, what, what we did is came back Tuesday through Thursday. We flex Monday and Friday. And, and it is it is different. Um, I think if you've managed one employee, you've managed one employee. 
at least that's again as as times have changed and we've seen these these different work styles and different generations starting to really mesh together it's become more and more of a thing that I see. You've managed one employee, you've managed one employee. So I have several that really only feel like they're getting things done if they're interacting and seeing somebody face-to-face. I have some that work extremely well independently and really just crank some work out and uh, and, and others that need really kind of direct day-to-day coaching, you know, almost on a, you know, twice-a-day basis. So I simply try to flex that and give them what they need. But also I, I do think it's absolutely critical, even if you're on a partial hybrid schedule, to have that personal connectivity. So we do, we do, you know, mid-year and then annual team retreats. A lot of folks do that. We try to make sure it's a bonding, but also a stage setting and information sharing kind of activity. I spend a lot of time bringing different team members with me to events and programs around the community. So there's a, a couple, couple, you know, little organizations out there that do two or three breakfasts every month. So I'll take a different team member with me and get them exposed in the community. I think in economic development, what's really unique about it is if you don't truly love why we do what we do, you will get burned out and you will not be excited about the job because it can be a very long runway to see results. It can Mm -hmm. be thankless if you're in a nonprofit and everyone out there just wants to know what ribbon you've cut lately. And, and aren't thinking about the bigger picture and moving the needle in terms of competitiveness. So I do spend quite a bit of time reinforcing and helping them with, with training on economic development so they understand the impacts and implications. And also that anyone on the team, if we have a win, if we announce a company, that everyone on the team down to the events coordinator, et cetera, knows that they had a stake in making that happen. Yeah, I love that. And it it kind of leads perfectly because I was going to ask you about skill and training. Like I know you're part of IEDC. You obviously, what I love about this profession is people's kind of origin story because it is a profession that has so many unique professionals in it that have all different backgrounds, which is so cool. Yet there are also like some just skills that make people really, really good at economic development or their job. So I'm curious for you, like, when you think back to getting your training in economic development, what are some of the skills or the training that you went to that kind of helped sharpen what you would say is kind of your superpower now? Sure. I was very fortunate because of the time I started in economic development, because I had a strong mentor who very much believed in professional development training. I also had a city manager early on in those years who had been an economic developer for a long time. He was unbelievable and still keeps in touch with me. He's back in Texas and has been probably for a decade now and is is just an amazing human being. So I was very fortunate. So I also try to remind other economic developers, don't wait to put your talented people into training quickly and give them that baptism by fire and really push them into it. And, uh, and allow them to start absorbing that because I would go to training classes. I didn't know what I didn't know. And I would come back with 14 ideas and what I could do with my, in my community. I think for aspiring economic developers, while there's so many different roles, public, private, you know, government, state level, local level, the more you can be in a community when you're starting out as a generalist, the more you're going to learn a little bit of everything. So because I was in a very small rural community and we were building it from scratch, I had the opportunity to do economic development marketing, to write the first job descriptions for the department. I I did the first redevelopment plan for the community. I I did research. I did websites. I really did kind of everything in between. So I see myself as a very good generalist 
but not necessarily the most technically sound, you know, especially in terms of commercial development insights. So we all have our strengths. There are those different kinds of economic developers, the ones that are very, very transactional and are all about deals, the ones that are, are very much into community leadership and being that type of change agent. And, and that's definitely probably where I gravitate towards more because of the training and the community work that I had. So I, I suppose those are my best skills. I've got a pretty good gut in terms of those things. And, and it, it served me really well in board management and leadership. So always think about how those skills can translate. If you've worked really well with a city council or elected officials, you can certainly take that and move it over to applications and managing a private board of directors and vice versa. Yeah, I think that's really spot on. And I, I was going to say, like, you know, when we were thinking about the questions and I asked the question about superpower in my mind, I already felt like I was knew what your superpower was. And I was so curious, like, is she going to say what I think it is? And you did. I mean, I wrote down she's a trailblazer, which essentially I feel like you're you you get you're very passionate about what you do. And that's so awesome because when you do go out and like network, it's like you're a magnet, like people just want to like be doing what you're doing. And I think that is like when you were saying like you're good at building community and like translating that vision, I think that's so, so cool. So that leads us right into the next question, which is, I mean, I feel like congratulations are definitely in order. I When we were talking about awards that you received, one of those is the 2022 Women of Influence honoree for the Albuquerque Business Journal, which was back in March. And I know from talking to other women in economic development and other even site consultants in economic development, when they're thinking about like, who are the women leading this profession forward? Because for many, many years, it was truly male dominated. There were not very many women and you didn't hear a lot from the women that were even in economic development. And now we're starting to see that trend happen. And I just, I'm curious for you, what advice do you have for other women in this profession who look up to you or kind of see that you've in some ways like broken through some ceilings um, and may aspire to do that for themselves? Like what is your, what's your advice? Thanks, Carla. It's, I'll go back to it's, it's, it's a combination of luck, but but I will also back up and say it's not really luck. It's taking advantage of opportunities that are put in front of you. There's a Nika Brzezinski did a great book called Knowing Your Value, talking about women not feeling that they're ever ready to ask for the raise or ask for the job or the opportunity. So very early on, when in my first community. Yes, I was encouraged and I had a lot of support in going to training, but I also sat back and spent a whole weekend and put together a training plan and a goal for myself for the next five to seven years. And I took it to my city manager and said, this is why I want you to send me to these trainings because I'm going to get certified. I'm going to do all these things. So I would say never, never be afraid to ask for someone to invest in you so that you can grow. Never be afraid to go out and seek mentors. I, I've always told anyone on my team, they should absolutely have a mentor that's not me. It needs mm-hmm. to be someone else in the profession, someone else, truthfully, somebody they can talk to if they're frustrated with me or if they're trying to figure out how to manage up to me. That's that's perfectly reasonable and really important. I also think what, what's been probably the most critical thing to me is building your national network of other professionals. My best friends in the world 
are economic developers that I really grew up with in Arizona, and then economic developers through IEDC that I have no reason to ever know other than I've engaged with them in those um, in those spaces. And so what that also means, though, is you get what you give. So if you go to conferences and you engage as a professional and you engage as a leader, you will get that same consideration back. I guarantee it. Know that you have exciting things to share. So put your name out there to speak on a panel Um, very early on. And and so even right when I I think maybe even my women of influence in Albuquerque is reflective of, especially when you get into a new community, I told my team, anybody that wants to hear me speak or meet with me, make it happen. I don't care if it's the neighborhood association, the Rotary Club, you know, the Boy Scouts, it doesn't matter. Anybody needs to hear the message about economic development and what's going on and understand that I'm an advocate for the community. So hopefully I think, you know, you said that that kind of energy does translate with people. But so, yes, I I would definitely highly encourage people to get involved. And that's not just because I believe in IEDC and the training, but it is that professional network. I can call people around the country if I have a challenge with a board member or an HR issue, or I don't know how to tackle a project, or I'm trying to figure out a new way to do lead, I can call people and get that advice. And I do it all the time because I only know what I know. And there are some really innovative, amazing things happening out there. And the work that you all do sharing best practices through this podcast and others is critical. So don't ever stop learning and continue to be a sponge in that regard. Yeah, that's such great advice. And I think it's so true that sometimes people are waiting to feel ready. It is hard to advocate for yourself. And sometimes you feel like, oh, well, if I I just need this one last thing in order to feel ready for that, to go through a certification process or to get more training. And sometimes you're not really ready until you expand your horizons and and build that muscle. Um, So I think that's really good advice. Okay, so our last question before we let you get back to all the amazing things that you're doing in Albuquerque, I'm curious to hear from you. You've been doing economic development for a little while. You've had you've been in a couple different states and communities. Is there like a favorite moment or favorite part of economic development that you, you know, just think of fondly? Like what is what is the thing that keeps you going in this profession or or is there one story that you're like, this was kind of like a pinnacle moment mm. for me? Well, if, uh, gosh, if, uh, if my economic development career were a baby, I'd be sending it to college. So, <laughs> and that's, that's freaking me out a little bit. I'll, I'll tell you what, because being the young one in the profession for so long, all of a sudden you kind of wake up one day and you look around and you go, Oh wait, you know, now people think I know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> When it, when I play I, that card anymore. I, I think I think one of my best tricks is in the back of my mind. I always feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm figuring it out anyway. And and you know more than you think you do. Gosh, there there are so many economic development is no day is the same. You never know is what's going to get thrown at you. The approaches and the strategies to actually moving an economy forward are different in each community. And they change with economic cycles. So the work we're doing across the country that's consistent with economic developers is not how we approached it 10 years ago. And the work in Albuquerque today is vastly different than, let's say, a greater Seattle partners, right? Those playbooks are never identical. So I love that because you really get to mold something. You get to drive a community forward. And ultimately, we're in this Again, going back to the mission, um, our mission statement for area talks about the fact that we exist 
ultimately to drive forward strategic initiatives, diversify the economy, but raise the quality of living for everyone. We're trying to make people's lives better in our community incrementally step-by-step. If you remember that, then I just, it, it would, it is, it's profound, but to me, I don't even know how you could not love this and anything it throws at you. If you know, you're doing it. Some of my favorite stories though, you know, I'll I'll give you, I, I know we're closing on time, but two cool ones. One of my favorite business support stories ever is the simplest. I was in my little rural community, little city of Maricopa, and we had a small business that had failed and not succeeded. So I started standing up small business training programs because I learned about doing that at IEDC and started launching all of these things and reaching out. And one of those businesses, 15 years later, is now after a failed small business turned into one of the most successful large-scale catering companies in the Phoenix region. And that's amazing. And she still tags me whenever she posts something really cool um, because I helped her and I I had no idea what I was doing, right? I just got lucky and was able to offer resources. Uh, Another really interesting one is, it could be a very long story, but long, long story short, Theranos did have a, an Elizabeth Holmes, you know, that story did have a footprint in Arizona and actually in Scottsdale at ASU's Skysong Center of Innovation. And so when all of the things happened that happened that made Theranos no more, we had actually had a great relationship through business retention and expansion with the local on the ground staff. And they called me and said, we received notice this morning that you know, probably, you know, several dozen people no longer have jobs. We don't know what to do. They were just heartbroken because these were largely phlebotomists and other workers. We were able to reach out to our local businesses, to CPS, to Mayo Clinic. We had almost everybody placed within two to three days. So that's a key to me. That's not even a big announcement, but that's how do you triage a situation and make it really positive for other businesses and people in the community. So you just never know what the economic development day is going to throw at you. Yeah, that is so cool. Well, thank you so much. I always, I, I just love spending time with you and learning from you and um, you just have great energy and insight. So thank you for taking time to jump on the podcast today. Thank you. And thank you to everything for everything that America's Jobs team does. Yeah, well, we appreciate you. We'll see you soon. Thanks for sticking with us till the very end. This podcast is sponsored by Research on Investment lead generation for economic development, and Gazelle AI. Spend more time closing, less time chasing. Did you like what you heard today? Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The America's Jobs Team podcast is audio engineered by Andrea Fuller and produced by Faye Davis.